0: Welcome to What Would Jane Do?, a podcast exploring women's work in cities and urban design. We are so happy to have Claudia Monsigno with us today. She's an architect from Zelaya, Mexico, who shares her experience working with heritage conservation in her hometown, and how it has given her new opportunities to fall in love with the city again. We also discuss her other projects, as well as the current dynamics that are affecting Zelaya today. Hello, Claudia, how are you? Hi, Steph, I'm very happy to be here with you. Welcome to What Will Jane Do? Where are you from? Introduce us to your city, please.
1: Well, I'm from Celaya, that is um, quite a small city in the center of Mexico. If you take the map of Mexico and you point just in the center, you will be touching (laughs) Celaya. So it is a small city, that is around a half million inhabitants, but that's small for Mexico. Uh, Celaya has been a difficult city to live for the last probably eight to 10 years because it's been quite dangerous. Like uh, every year is more dangerous. Last year, it was uh, number 18 of most dangerous cities in the world. And this year, the, the report just uh, was published this week. And Celaya is the most dangerous uh, city to live in the world. Celaya is a city, like I said, in the center of Mexico. So it is crossed by the most important highways. Like We connect to United States and to the South, to, in all the country, and also we connect to the ports in both oceans, in the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, and the Gulf of Mexico. Also, we have um, an airport and we're near all the important cities in Mexico, like uh, around three hours trip. So that's very, very important. Here in Guanajuato also, there is a, a refinery of uh, gasoline Here in Celaya, we have oil ducts. And these oil ducts go to the capital and serve all the gasoline that the capital needs. So it is an important place because it is uh, well placed to connect. Like (laughs) Since the beginning of Mexico, like a country, it was the route of the silver. Like in Guanajuato, they have uh, silver mines and here in Celaya, it was a, po- a stop, uh, post-to-stop. So Celaya has always been important, but it has never grown because it is uh, how to say it? It is dangerous because the connectivity. Like you can transport all goods around here, but exactly because of that, it is dangerous because people it's trying to steal the goods here in the periphery and things like that. Like um, years ago, like five years ago, it was very public that there was this situation of Huachicoleo, that is the steal of fossil fuels directly from the oil pipes. It was very public and the government said, okay, we're going to stop with that. They stopped with that and the city become, became more, more
0: dangerous. So instead of helping the city grow by targeting insecurity, it went the other way.
1: Yeah. Like when the situation, wa- the, the important steel was of oil directly from the oil pipes, we didn't know anything about it. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, it's in the outside of the city. Um, there's these specific people that it's doing it. And of course, it was affecting the government, because the government controls all the oil in Mexico. But it didn't affect the population. But now that they don't have that income, they started to um, steal, to ask for paying to protect people. Like if you have a business, then you will receive a letter that says, okay, we're the cartel something. And we need for you to pay for protection because we're going to protect you.
0: How do you think that is affecting urban life in Celaya? I mean, how do you feel like like there's a before and after? Did people go out before, enjoyed public spaces, or was it not that common?
1: I think Celaya is an interesting case because there are not many public places. I just did the numbers. And the public spaces are like 0.3% of all the city, so it is very, very small. But uh, before all this situation, of course, you can go out, you could go out and just, for example, go to bars or things like that. And now we know that if you go to bars, there is like 50-50 chance that you get into a problem. If you see the statistics, it is uh, quite depressing because, like, you cannot go, for example, just go out to dinner because something can happen in a restaurant, in a street place of food, in a bar. In a bar, it's it's more
0: possible. I think it's interesting because, well, Cali is in like number 38 on on that list, the city where I live in, and. In my city, it is quite dangerous, but it's kind of like sectorized. If you go to this sector, it might not be as dangerous and you can go out. I mean, this street life and urban life is still possible. I mean, it's a long way down from number one.
1: Well, Celaya was like that. Like, we know there there are some dangerous places in the city, so you don't go to that places and you don't worry. But now it is not like that. Like I live in a gated community in the outsides of the city and it was supposed to be a safe place. But just yesterday we were watching a movie late at night like at 11 and just in the avenue that collects all the gated communities around there was gunshots. We were like, okay, those were gunshots. But we're safe because we're inside. But what's happening outside it's what worries us i was talking to one of my partners in my job and we were like okay we are maybe a little insensitive because we're like okay there were gunshots let's keep watching the movie yeah like, you just get numb yeah i was Those gonna say that situation that had happened For years, like I remember when I was uh, 18, 20, probably 10 years ago, I was out on the streets at 12, 1 o'clock, 2 in the morning, and it was not dangerous. But right now, I'm 30, I'm I'm like, okay, 10 o'clock, I'm in my house, that's perfect.
0: Now that you talked about your job, can you talk to us about what you're doing, where you're working right now?
1: I'm working at the local government. I work in the Urban Development Department of the city. And I also teach a couple of classes of uh, bioclimatic architecture in the University Tec de Monterrey. And I also have a fellowship on the United Nations, that is the Local Pathways Fellowship.
0: Can you tell us specifically what you do? I mean, you said you work in the municipality, but what is your responsibility?
1: Yeah, in the urban development department, what I do is uh, to, ha- to hold the coordination of the historic center and the urban image of the city. And what we do is um, we go outside to the historic center and we try to find the places that we have to protect because they are very old, because they have uh, some quality, for example, they are, um, of a a specific current of architecture. And then we study those places, uh, we make a catalog of them, and we put some rules, like if you have a house that was built before 1900s, you cannot demolish them. You can maybe adapt them to to have a different use, but you
0: cannot demolish them because it have historic heritage. And do you think people actually follow those rules? Or is it, it something that you're just building right now?
1: It is quite complicated because many people said like, OK, it's my uh, heritage, my, my house, I can't demolish them. So we have to kind of fight a battle day by day to explain people that they have to take care of them. Because it's more valuable if you have the house than if you build a new house. And also, it is less expensive to fix them than to build a new one. So that's like my motto always, like, don't demolish it. It's more expensive. And it will take part of your house because we have some um, rules in the city that says, probably, if you demolish a house in a very um, small street, you will have to go a little further oh and back your, a few
0: a few meters
1: yeah you mm-hmm. you have to give the government a few meters to make the, the street wider so i'm like okay don't demolish it because if you demolish it you will lose that that percentage of your of your terrain right so
0: i i guess it's not easy to like interact with people all the time
1: yeah you have to be very patient like Every day, I think, okay, I'm talking with kids, I'm talking with kids, I'm talking with
0: kids.
1: (laughs) I have to explain it like very, very easily, what's happening and what they can or they can't do.
0: I guess
2: the trick is as well though, as you are coming as a professional and I mean, approaching them with your background and your understanding of the heritage of the house. And as you expressed, I like when you, you said that they are expressing yeah but we have heritage to this too so I mean heritage is such a, a, a mixed like um, how you view it isn't it and what would you say what is their benefit then of keeping it like do you feel As to say, I like the trick that you said that it's more expensive, but is there anything else that you say that you kind of try to make them understand what it means maybe for the city then? Because I mean, that's what you're looking at, isn't it?
1: Well, there is something interesting. There is a federal law of monuments that protects these houses. And the law says, okay, if you have your house in a good state, you don't have to pay every year, um, to have the house like here in Mexico we have a, a tax that's called predial mm-hmm. and you pay every year because you're having a house so you have to pay the va- a part of the value of the house just to the to the local government because they are giving you like uh, streets and street lights and things like that right yeah you pay for that and if your house is very very old like more than 100 years old and you have it in a perfect state you don't have to pay for that Mm -hmm. and that's very important because those houses are in the center of the city they're huge and because of that they have to pay a
2: lot for for this tax. I see that's really that's really interesting and also do you think that it's sometimes do you try to use the kind of sensation of you should be proud that you are living in this house? Or like, can is that a way of trying to approach them?
1: Yeah, when, I, when I'm on the streets doing field work, I'm always like, your house is beautiful. Uh, <laughs> these things are awesome because n- no other house has them in the, in the city and things like that. Because I get very excited with that. When I found out okay. a house that it's in perfect state, I'm like, wow. I cannot believe it, right? <laughs> so yeah, I, I try to transmit that to them.
2: Yeah, it's good. I like that. Also,
1: we have some campaigns, like we go to schools to well, n- not right now because pandemic, but we used to have two schools, to primary and secondary schools to teach kids about heritage. So that was like, okay, they're going to grow up and they're going to have houses. So we have to prepare them like to take
2: care of it. Start early. That's good. <laughs> That's cool.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, there is this idea that the newer, if it's new, it's better, but it's not always like that. And um, I
1: think it's not like that. I would love to live in the center of the city and in one of those houses.
3: How does the violence in the city affect your work with heritage in the city center?
1: There is a very, very good question. Um, My work hasn't been really affected, but what has been affected is the center. Like the center, um, since like four or five years ago, it started to empty because people didn't feel safe there because all the the doors go just out to the street. And there was not exactly problems in the city center. Like, I don't remember to hear about um, gunshots or or something like that. I I don't really remember, but people started to get nervous. And then the builders, like the big companies started to use that fear to Mm -hmm. build gated communities in the outside of the city. So these gated communities were a huge success. And the people in the center that could afford to move started to move to the outsides of the city. For example, we did it like 10 years ago. My parents had a house, not in the center, but it was in an open street. And then these gated communities started to open. We came to see one, and they were like, "Okay, this is pretty. Let's go. And we just moved, because we could afford it, right? But we start to see like the people that stays in the center of the city is people that has been there for many generations, like maybe four or five generations. And it is quite poor. Like they cannot afford to restore their houses. We had many cases last year, like five cases of houses that just went down by themselves because they have never had like any maintenance. So that's a problem we have. Like the, the city center is being emptied and people cannot afford to restore their houses.
0: Do you think maybe, I don't know if you have it, but does the municipality give like a fee to the, to their, their houses to maintain if they meet some requirements? Well, I, I would love that. But
1: here in Celaya, we have a political problem. Like our local government and the state government belong to a party. And the federal government, like the, the country's government, it's from a different party. So since the last three years, we have been budget problems. Like there is no enough budgets to cover all the necessities
0: of the city. All we sense have been a political problem in everything. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the problem that we have right now, the, the safety problem, it's located in that point like it, it's a political problem that goes back many years
0: you mentioned your your fellowship and that's something that you're still doing right i think it was six months and then you continue to doing your project could you um, maybe talk a little bit about that i think it's really interesting because it's it's something with youth for the future
1: yeah the local pathways fellowship. It's a group of youth people from different uh, backgrounds, different careers, different uh, ages. Like we're from 18 to 30, but we're all interested in the city. Like we all detected some problems in our cities and we applied to the fellowship that it's uh, by the United States, a United States program. And then they say, okay, we're going to have like, 100 plus uh, fellows to teach them history of cities um, innovation in cities many topics about the city to give them tools to develop a project for the cities that start to address the problem so that's the idea like the first six months um, they teach us many many topics about the city and then the second part of the program, like three months, we develop a project. Currently, we're just like studying and started to research about the city. Like, um, for example, one of my indicators is um, what percentage of the city is public space? That's why I know just only 0.3% it is. Yeah. Right, so we have to make some research and we start to prepare information to have a project that um, it's backed up in information.
0: For your city, for Zelaya.
1: Yeah, for Zelaya.
3: What, what sort of project are you hoping to work on with the, um, the, the UN fellowship?
1: I'm thinking about public space because I know the center very well. There are places that instead of being abandoned, of being like urban voids, I think it could be connected as uh, urban parks. Mm. So I'm going that way. And also I'm thinking about uh, safety of women in Mm. public spaces, in public streets, because I know for example, lights are not so well designed. They look very pretty because they look like colonial that I think are not the best idea for safety. So I'm, I'm working on that way.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, when something that looks pretty but isn't functional in the way that it needs to be Yeah, <laughs> a common
0: problem, I'm sure, across all of our cities. <laughs> what made you want to enter that field that you're practicing in?
1: Well, it was very interesting because um, I studied my master's degree in sustainable um, architecture in sustainable design. And then I came back home and I started teaching. I was just teaching a couple of classes. And I was like, OK, I'm exhausted with the master's degree. I have to take a break. You know it, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I went to visit my uh, thesis advisor from architecture, like here in Mexico. And he was like, okay, what are you doing? And I was like, okay, I'm just teaching a couple of classes. I'm taking a break and that's all for a year. And he was like, would you like to work here? Because he's the director of urban development in Celaya. I was like, okay, I've never thought about working for the government. But that's the only thing that's left. Like I already teach, I already work for the private companies. Why not? Like, I was like, okay, I would like to work here. But he told me like I don't have anything like for your background. It would be in uh, historic heritage because it's interesting, because you can learn, and because you can go outside to do field work. And I was like, it sounds perfect. Like he knows me very well because he was my teacher for a couple of years and then he was my thesis advisor. So he was like, I think it would be interesting for you. I was like, sure. And it had been very, very interesting. It's something that I didn't know anything about. Like I didn't like my uh, history of architecture classes too much at the university, but I had to relearn all of that. And it has been a very interesting process. Like I haven't used probably most of my knowledge in a master's degree, mm-hmm. but if I can apply a little, I, I am like, okay, this is conservation, but with a sustainable view. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point of view. Do you get to design that, like the restoration uh, things as well in the houses or is just you overseeing things when you're working?
1: I don't design the restoration per se, but I teach the people, like if they come to the office and they say like, okay, my house is having problems of this, of this, of this. I'm like, okay, you can do this to restore them. These are the materials you have to use. Um, The problem that many people have is like, they have uh, concrete or they try to restore their buildings with concrete. Yeah but that was not the original material. So it started to break. So I'm always like, okay, you have to take all of the concrete from the construction and you have to restore it with um, other different materials, more tars and things like that.
3: You, you mentioned that you worked for, some, worked for some private companies. How does that compare to working for the government in Celaya for you?
1: Well, this is quite interesting, because in the private companies, you have to respond to the interest of the company, to the clients. Um, I used to work in a metal workshop. like I designed big metal structures. So I was most of the time in the office, and I used to receive clients, and I was designing all of this. it was mostly uh, office work and design work, like Mm -hmm. uh, make structural calculus and things like that. And then when I went to the office, like in the local government, you have to talk a lot with people. You have to convince people. Uh, You have to deal with very, very mad people that just come to you because, uh, I don't know, because they want to demolish a house and you won't let them. And so you have to be, as I say, sometimes I feel like I'm a kindergarten teacher that mm-hmm. has to deal with like many, many interests and have to calm people and then have to teach them. You should have maybe started mediating, then,
3: so. <laughs> Yeah,
1: it is more mediating. I don't design anything, and it's more <laughs> mediating and a, a little field work because that's uh, a plus that I have here.
0: Can you describe your favorite space in your city?
1: We were talking about this last uh, last time. It is interesting because before I went to Scotland, I thought my city was very ugly. <laughs> I didn't like the city; like it is horrible. I'm not from Celaya. I'm from Mexico City, like the capital of Mexico, and I went to live here when I was nine years old. So I was like, okay, this is just a ranch. This is horrible. There is nothing to do here. I hate it. There is dust everywhere. You know, adolescent. But when I came back from Scotland and I started to work in the historic uh, center, I understood that it is very pretty. Like the streets are good to walk in. There is these public places, uh, the plazas that are amazing that you can just sit there and watch the people, see the street vendors. It is very, very pretty. Like half of the historic center is built before the 1900s. They're very, very old buildings. And I would dare to say like 30% of them are well-maintained. And especially in the in the first perimeter it is like you are in a different year like you're in the 1900s because the streets have pavements like um, gravel and things like that so it looks very historical and i think that's my favorite spot
0: it's a built with the loss of the indies from the spanish kingdom in that time when they were colonizing. and
1: Yeah, the city was built in 1800s, 1810, probably. It, it was one of the first cities in, in Mexico. I think it's called like the 10th city in Mexico. And it was because it was the, the passage from the mines to the center of the city, like to the
0: capital. It reminds me a lot of, this, there's this city in Colombia, um, I think, well, where I live is one of them, that they mm-hmm. became part of this, the Royal Road from where, when the Spanish were here, you had that as well?
3: Yeah, so they
0: exactly. So they passed through every city and each point was like a really, they had something there that was important. So in your case, I guess it was mining, but in my case, it was because it was the, the middle point between the capital and the what the capital was back then and what the capital is right now. It's, it's just funny. interesting to see how, even though we live in different countries, um, but we were colonized by the same people, we share some similarities.
1: Yeah. It was the same uh, urban development.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Did your Was your
3: perspective changed coming back? because of living in Edinburgh? Like, was it something about being in a different space that made you see your city differently?
1: I haven't talked about it like that, but I think it was something of that, because you we know Edinburgh is a very pretty city and it's very historical and you're like, okay, everything's so pretty. I think it opened my eyes to see how pretty Celaya in the center.
0: In the center.
1: Yeah, in the center, <laughs> because we had the problem, right? Like the center and then poverty belts, and their gated communities. And then like the natural development of Latin American cities. What would
2: you say is the future of Celaya then? Do you think U.S part of the heritage and also the planning department do you see that you want to try to push that identity further out or are you gonna stick with the the, the housing communities so or what, what what is the future for your city what you would say and even taking into account of course the the difficulties the city is in with the conflicts do you think that is going to shape the city as well is it going to be more security or is it going to be more trying to be Proud of the city and bring that
1: out? Well, we've we'll, we'll been working in that a lot. Um, we've been um, making the historical part of the city like every year more bigger. Like we try to, uh, we call it like buffer zone. Mm-hmm. Like there is the, the city center, the first um, part of it, Right now, it's protected by a federal institution. And we achieved that last year because of the work we were doing. And then they found that more than half of the, of the first part of the city is historical. So because of the work, they protected it. And then we have a second perimeter that it's also being worked as a historic part of the center. And then we have the buffer zones. So we're, we're starting to uh, amplify that protection. So every year, more houses enter to the catalog, and we start to push further, right? Um, also, what the government's working, not us, but uh, yeah, it's the institution that builds public infrastructure that pays for public infrastructure. They are fixing the streets around the city center to look more colonial. Like mm. they're taking awesome. all the electricity infrastructure and they putting it under the ground, and they putting like special lights that look um, more old and things like that. They making the streets wider, uh, more. Pedestrian friendly, and we're working like together to to try that the the center looks more historic. So we're working on that, and also there is another institute that is um, the Institute of Planning, and they have been working in a program for all the city that adheres to the SDGs and the twenty thirty agenda. Mm. So I hope this program, this planning is supposed to be published this year. So I hope it gets better. uh, It have more public spaces and things like that. But I I couldn't, I haven't seen it because it's a different institute. Hmm. But I hope they're doing a good job there. They even um, pay for experts and things like that. They work with the UN because in 2018, the UN came and made some studies, the City Prosperity Index. So they have that base to update the the municipal planning program.
0: And that's really positive.
1: Mm. Mm. I hope so. (laughs) I think it's, it's good. But as I haven't seen it, I just can hope it gets really, really in the SDGs and the agenda
0: yeah uh, i think that's really something to look forward to that and how you are ex- keep expanding the city center and, and taking like a more historic historical point of view because normally what we were talking at the beginning that people think that because it's something new it's better but and we forget that this this part of our it's part of our history you know who that made us made the city what it is right now
1: Yeah, and also people think that gated communities are safer, but because they divide people I think are more dangerous Mm. because they put like a fence in front of the faces of the people, so people get angry. And the problem of this is the Latin American city development that is like gated communities, uh, poverty, gated communities, so it's very, very
0: near. We talk about this a little bit with Camila's because her dissertation was about this topic. And she said that one of the problems was what you're saying, that this creates this boundary and separation between in the city. So it it doesn't, it's not a city for all, but a city for a few. Mm -hmm. It
2: becomes more the us and them rather than seeing the city as a big community, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting too, how something that like, would make you feel safer, like give you the, the feeling of security, a fence or a wall, but actually can make you less safe because it's, like you said, dividing people and putting a fence in front of them.
1: It's interesting. Uh, and, and poor people know that they cannot live there and that there is wealthy. So it is a marker, very important.
0: Well, Claudia, thank you for being with us today. It was quite interesting to hear from another country. And another city's perspective. Thank you for joining us.
2: Okay, hey, great. Thank yeah, you.
0: Thank you.
3: Well, I think one of the things that was really interesting is that, and it follows the chain of, I feel like the people that we're talking to, the women that we're talking to, it's like there's, you know, kind of this path that you take and then leaving your city and then returning to it and kind of seeing it with fresh eyes. And I mean, to be romantic, like falling in love with your city again, you know, I feel like we've heard that in a few people, like really valuing what you have, what's already there. I mean, whether that's, the public spaces that are there or like the heritage, the historic things that already exist, rather than tearing it down and building up. I feel like there's been this kind of pattern of that. So it was it was um, just nice to hear because I've been similar where you know at first leaving it you're like I'm I'm done with this place. Like I don't like it. It's not beautiful. Going somewhere else and then returning and kind of seeing things with fresh eyes. I enjoyed hearing that from her.
2: I think. I think it's um, yeah. It, it's kind of what. Well, she talked about other lessons in another type of way, but no. But it, you know, when you're young and you stay with your like at your parents and you have your dreams of like I'm going to get out there in the world or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and it's like a similar thing of like you you, you get older and you start to see new things or new perspectives.
0: I, I think I understand a little bit of what Claudia is saying because she moved there when she was nine. Mm. So her roots are not there. Her early childhood is not there. Mm. Her early me- memories are not there. So maybe that connection to the city takes a time to, like, to take place.
2: But maybe it is more difficult when you're younger in that sense as well. Again, I think it also very much about age. Like, you become older and you... you As she's creating a life with her job, of course, and very involved in the city as well. I mean, I feel... I moved a lot. And always that first year when you do feel quite alien, but at the same time, you're starting to build more roots into that space. Like, I would say that all three of us do feel very much linked to Edinburgh, even though we stayed there quite short, but... Yeah you do kind of plant your seeds in different spaces and bring the memories back to that. And, in, and maybe in this case, then she, she went back. And yeah, I mean, the conclusion is she's seeing her city from a new perspective.
0: Don't you think that maybe it's because, like she said, be- that she used to work in an office. She, her whole time was in an office interacting with clients and doing design work. But now her interaction with the city is different. It's not from a car is from walking the city center and interacting with people. So it makes you feel like you belong to them in a way. Yeah, And And I think maybe that's why we like Edinburgh so much because we walk the city all the time. Mm -hmm. But I
3: think that's what I was thinking about because I agree with you. I think it's easier to love a place if you have a lot of history there. But the second way to love a place is to do the work and like explore it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if you have never done that before like if you've only lived in one place and know it so well and know all the corners that you you know go to that's one thing but then like moving to Edinburgh living there exploring the city on foot like seeing it from the street all of that and then taking that practice back to wherever you live like that can change it like you said she's she's doing field work, she's walking around, like, she's seeing the city center and, you know, learning about all this heritage in the city. It changes your perspective of of the place that you already know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it is practice. I feel like it is, like, if you don't do it, then you're not going to see it. It's a different, it's just a different um, way of being,
0: I guess. Yeah, and I guess, like, if she didn't have that work, she wouldn't be feeling the same like the same way because she wouldn't. I mean, she will have all the constraints of this. Uh, it's not really safe to be outside, so I would just stay home all the time. Yeah. Mm. yeah,
2: she wouldn't be able to build that connection.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: A sense and of place.
0: like part of being in a city is connecting to the people that live in it. Yeah. So Definitely. the fact that she's interacting with uh, the community is also a big part of that.
3: I was glad to hear her describe at the end too that like people do go out during the day, and there's a you know a distinction there because I was just thinking about, I mean, you think about the stress of kind of being isolated over this past year, and you know adding on top of that the stress and anxiety of not feeling safe going out and compound that across an entire city of people that maybe don't trust each other because of, you know, not knowing and, you know, being concerned with safety and all that. That's a lot of stress to just lay on top of your everyday life for an entire city to be feeling that.
2: Um, It makes me proud in one sense for them as citizens, as this classic notion of their right to the city. They make sure to take that space as their space and at the same time they're respecting the situation I mean they're just respecting and caring for their their safety but I have little understanding or knowing how this problem would be solved but I think keeping your connection to your city and and using the space is going to help a lot I mean
0: it is it is I mean the fact that I think what makes public spaces safe, in a way, is having people that that use it mm-hmm. Yeah. on top of having good lighting and having good amenities and, and other stuff. But you will feel safer if you see other people around, walking around you. I think, like, at the beginning, I was really afraid, in a way, because what I, I told her, I didn't want it to become this thing that, where you see cities or cities from the outside, I hate going out, I like abroad, and then people like immediately linking Colombia with drugs and Pablo Escobar and just assuming that because they, that's what they see and on the outside is what it is on the inside. And yes. I think it's very important in this situation, again, similar to when we spoke to Wafa, uh, who's
2: also in the situation of that it's, that, it's so important to hear people who lives in these situations. As she said, like, I do understand that She felt it was crazy that they were in the cinema and hearing or knowing about the gunshots and kind of just shook the shoulders of it. But it makes sense. Like they are people living there and everyone is not involved in the crime or they're people living, just living their lives. And those stories are so important to hear and to understand. And not that it's accepted then of the happenings, but it just shows that, i don't know what
3: i'm trying to say but like it's like showing that there's still development and things are still moving forward in spite Mm -hmm. of that like they're still writing the city plan she's still doing heritage work like and i feel like some people or in some cases you would be like well like just forget everything until we fix this but the reality is that you have to keep moving the city forward in all the small like mundane daily ways you know, regardless yeah. of, of conflict or violence that's happening. And like I think it. that that is hopeful, you know, because it's, you're moving forward still. And I, I did like how she said to, um, like it, it, that feeling, like it didn't make her angry, but it made her disappointed. Like we're better yeah. than this. Um, which is still that a similar thing of that community aspect of like, no, we can, we can do better. Like we can, we can sort this out we can do this in a better way um shows
2: but there is also hope i mean there is hope as long as people don't give up you know and she is not ready to go up. and i'm sure a lot of people around her and, and other people in the city is not giving up yeah. it's just that sadly the power is not necessarily on their side and there is structures political structures and other things that need to be in place but as long as they keep up that sensation you just have to move forward like mm-hmm. and I think what I think is really again important with this kind of perspective and I so understand you Stephanie with what you feel people's perspective maybe outside have I think I hope with our podcast and these like people that were
3: interviewing
2: that you, you get the perspective of that you maybe would have gotten if you went there you know like I, I feel my my journey to our trip to Colombia taught me so much how places are around the world. And that is not Europe in my sense. I mean, my Western perspective is strong and it's, it exists around many people. But now everyone can't travel everywhere, but at least sharing this understanding and knowledge and our similarities and our differences.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We can only teach each other and learn from each other and understand again we we are the same but we also have differences i would like to cover a bit more about the topic of heritage and i think i'm going to ask you as well stephanie on that too because i've been thinking a lot recently about heritage and in particular like colonial heritage so i mean in her sense she spoke a lot about the heritage in their city and how she loved the colonial architecture that existed there that it was very important to her and her department and how it maybe also was a lot for her city and city identity. And Stephanie, you, you covered that too when you said like, yeah, you, Cali is also part of that colonial history. I, I forgot to ask Claudia about it, but what would you say is maybe the public perspective on that in Colombia? Like, is that your, do you All see right. that as the well, key heritage or do you talk about like the other the past heritage before that, or do you look a lot at the heritage? or like what was happening?
0: You're saying that. Just asking if it's an important topic, or like, what is the value in keeping
3: colonial heritage when it's from a colonizing country? Yeah,
2: like, the- if you consider what it meant and what it has does, what
0: it has done, and how it has shaped you. Well, if remember that you're asking me. I do love colonial architecture. I mean, I not what it represents, but how it translates like the language. Mm. So I love for example one of my favorite cities is Cartagena and the colonial city center. It's just like this idea of remembering what we have, right? And what we came where we came from. But I think a lot of people here see it as a, something that is more touristic. Because it's beautiful, so and they paint houses of certain color, and they take beautiful pictures. And but I don't know if they if people go beyond that.
2: What I was feeling when we spoke to Claudia was that I don't know. I just want to hear what your perspective is on it as well. So she she goes out and she she tells people living in those houses that this is heritage. We need to keep it. It's memory. It has something for the city, so on and so forth. But if you think about it, heritage is different to everyone. And I mean, she was using the incentives of like, you know, you don't have to pay tax and, and you know, you don't, this is why it's important, but it's, it's hard to, what is the communal community heritage and what's your personal heritage? And why, like, there has to be an understanding of why do we have to keep it? And more than that, it's beautiful, you know?
0: I think part of the issue is that there's not a lot of uh, education around that, this topic. Like not making you understand the importance of heritage in every point of view. It It should be really important, but like from a culture point of view, people prefer to take something from the outside because they think it's better. So the same happens when we were talking like... um, People think that because it's something new, it's better than what we had before or what it is right now. So it doesn't only apply to buildings, it also applies to culture, um, how we express ourselves.
3: I think it's interesting, like how you're talking about education and she was describing the program of going into the schools and, and teaching about heritage. But I, but I also think too, there, there has been a shift and we didn't really get into this with her, but um, there has been a shift in heritage from only recognizing, like, high-class things. I think we read an article, but it's two people going back and forth about conserving buildings and, and like, putting, you know, plaques and things and recognizing it. But the in the past, it had always been, like, recognizing high-class architecture. But then it's also important to recognize Indigenous architecture or things that are, you know, not as... You know, highbrow in that sense. I do think it's interesting though, because it, there's the arguments that, like, she was describing how she makes to people that have homes that are considered heritage. And it's there's the built environment, and then there's everything that it represents, you know? So there's value to keeping buildings because it's better to just keep something that's there than to tear down and rebuild and and do that over and over you know so there's that just the built space of it but like how you said you know liking colonial architecture for what how it translates but not for what it represents there's that meaning that then gets placed behind it which is really interesting so there's like this and I think that's where the education comes in and the like social part of it. I mean, I see it with plantations in the South. Mm. There's a lot that still exists and a lot that, like you said, become these like tourist sites to visit because they're pretty and that's all they see and kind of ignore the the brutal history behind mm-hmm. their very existence. But at the same time, then there's also plantations that still exist but then use that as an educational platform to talk about the history of of slavery and all of that culture in the south Um, which is interesting so you have these two buildings that are the same same history but then just the education and the social aspect around them make them like worlds apart
2: that's the ultimate isn't it keep it to remind us of history our faults and mistakes, but also the, the beauty that certain things can come out with and, and respect, like respect and understand it and trying to have that balance.
3: And I mean, I think there are some arguments for some places to be removed. I mean, I'm kind of in the camp of removing Confederate monuments, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but that, and I feel like that's different. I, I think that's what I was trying to get at. Like with buildings, I think that there's, discussions around heritage with like with the built environment and and buildings and structures and homes and things like that and then monuments is like a whole other world that's quite different than making a case to keep a house standing or a you know redeveloping an an old building you know
2: Thanks for listening to What Would Jane Do? Tune in next time as we continue to explore women in cities and urban design. What Would Jane Do? is hosted by me, Kaiser Leon Lilja. Caitlin Foote.
0: And Stephanie Aggeplassarmo.
2: Together we make up Collectivo Design Group. You can find us at Collectivo.com, on Instagram at Collectivo Design, and on Twitter at Collectivo DG. And that's Collectivo with AK.